if your Bibles are open to Psalm chapter 34, there's a little introduction that is given in your Bible before that that is a part of the scripture. It was not added by man. Uh, it says it's a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. So the Bible gives us a, a little bit of a backdrop here. Abimelech was the king of the Philistines. And when Saul was trying to kill David, David reached a low discouraged point in his life. And he thought, you know, I'll be safer somewhere else, get as far away from Saul's reach as I can. And without consulting the Lord, he made a decision. Have you ever done that? Just this, this sounds like a good plan. And his, his plan was, I'm going to go over to the Philistines and, and uh, I, I'm just going to live with them. And Saul won't dare come for me there. And the Philistines hate Saul and they know Saul hates me and, and, and I'll be safe there. But when he got in, in Abimelech's court uh, and, and so forth, the noble said, do you know who this guy is? This is the one that killed the giant. This is, this is the one that's been leading the armies of Israel out against us for all these years. And uh, he's probably just a spy for King Saul to find out where our, our, our troops are, 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 are uh, uh, placed and so forth. And, and we can't have him here. And David all of a sudden realized his plan wasn't all that good. You know, when we make plans without God involved, they're never, they're never good. The Bible says that uh, David panicked and he started pretending that he was a crazy guy, started drooling on himself and scratching on the wall and, 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 and acting like, uh, you know, he was mentally deranged or something like that and, and uh, sort of became a laughing stock and somehow the, the king fell for it and the nobles fell for it and, and they kicked him out and David went on his way. And I want you to understand this wasn't after a victory. This was after a bad decision. This is after he messed up and yet God was gracious to him that David through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit picked up his pen and wrote this magnificent chapter of the Bible. David says at that point in his life, I will bless the Lord at all times. We're not supposed to just have a Thanksgiving service and once a year give thanks to the Lord. David said, I'm going to do it all the time. I will bless the Lord at all times. The good times, the bad times. When I'm feeling well, when I'm not. When everything's going my way, when everything seems to be going the other direction, I'm still going to bless the Lord. He said, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You realize if, if you and I were to put that, that one part of verse one into practice in our lives, his praise will continually be in my mouth, we would not have any time left to complain, to criticize, to grumble, to fault find, and everything else that we do in the course of a day as we go through the situations of life. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. We live in a world that loves to congratulate itself on how wonderful it is. I don't watch network TV, but I do see commercials and, and advertisements, you know, you know, the, the country music, they're going to award themselves and the, the people that get Grammys are going to award themselves. And then they got the Emmys and they got the, the Academy Awards and they got all these things and they're just saying, look how wonderful we are, you know, and, and, uh, you know, sports athletes have their name on, on jerseys that everybody goes out and, you know, sells a kidney to buy a jersey with their favorite football player's name on and stuff like that. David said, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. 
David was at a low point. He did something stupid. He did something foolish. He realized David is nothing and God is everything. That's who I'm going to boast in. I'm not going to walk around telling anybody how good David is. I just want them to know how good God is. He said, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. The proud man isn't going isn't to get excited when you and I praise the Lord. They're going to think that that's almost foolish. But that person that's humble in heart is going to know that to uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. The humble there uh, shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You understand verses one and two, David is just expressing saying, here's what I'm going to be. Here's the kind of Christian I am going to be from this point on. I'm going to be the kind that just all the time talking about how good God is and I'm going to praise God and, 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 and I'm going to try to be a testimony and a witness. And now David is inviting us, the readers of this Psalm. Will you join me in this? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. How? Together. David goes on and talks a little bit about why he's feeling this way. I sought the Lord and he heard me, delivered me from all my fears. What a terrible moment that must have been when David heard all the nobles of the Philistines complaining against him and bringing out very valid accusations against him. And he was surrounded in enemy territory and he knew he shouldn't have been there. He knew he had made a huge mistake. And uh, there's no evidence from uh, the book of uh, 2 Samuel that David is, uh, we don't hear his, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, we don't hear his prayer. But you know that on the inside is, oh God, what am I going to do? Oh God, you got to help me. Lord, I'm in a bad place. Lord, I shouldn't be here. I sought the Lord and he heard me. How many ever had God answer a prayer for you? You sought the Lord and he heard you. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. That's an odd verse in, in here because all the pronouns change. But here's what David's saying. He's saying this person and that person, man, they prayed and God answered their prayers. But God doesn't just do it for other people. God did it for me. When I was in Bible college, there was an evangelist that, that, that uh, came through to pastor school one year. A, he was a young man at the time. His name was uh, Tom Williams. We've had him here to our church once. Uh, when Brother Williams and his, his wife were in Israel, we're going back in the 1970s. Um, uh, they were, I think they were at Masada. And his wife collapsed to the ground and... Uh, uh, was taken with some type of a seizure. They rushed her to the hospital. Israel has very good medicine, found out uh, she had spinal meningitis. Your spinal fluid is supposed to be clear. When they did the spinal tap on hers, hers was white as milk, meaning that, that she had that much bacteria in there. They did not expect for her to survive, and it took several weeks before they were able to get her healthy enough to put her on a, a plane like a medical transport type thing, get her back to the, same, uh, the States and so forth. Obviously, any insurance he had did not work for the hospitals in Israel. When he got back here, uh, the, the truth was they, just, they, they either had no health insurance or very little health insurance. And his wife was in the hospital. It, it ended up consuming years of their life with her. And he talked about when she was in the hospital here stateside and the doctor came to him and said, Mr. Williams, we know your wife is sick and we're glad to be able to help her, but there, there are bills that have to be paid. And he had like a $50,000 hospital bill after just a matter of a, of, a, of a couple weeks and so forth. And you've been in the hospital, you know how quick those numbers add up. 
And he talked about how he'd got into the elevator after getting that bill from the doctor. And he's just praying, Lord, I, I, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to meet this need. And the, uh, the elevator opens on another floor. And he said a well-dressed man walked in. And the doors closed. And we proceeded on uh, uh, to another floor. And the man looked at me and said, are you Dr. Williams? He said, yes, I am. He said, I'm so-and-so and gave me his name and said, the Lord laid in my heart that I'm supposed to come and I'm supposed to give this to you and handed him a check for $50,000. I'm sitting there as a Bible college student thinking that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And, and it happened over and over again. If you listen to him talk about prayer and the power of prayer and the reality of prayer, I, I heard him tell things like that. that I thought, boy, that's amazing. That's what David's expressing in verse 5 about how God did things for other people. But David's now just saying, this poor man cried. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I, I still remember when Trina got sick and one, she just knew we were supposed to go to Mexico for treatment and it was going to cost $40,000. I had $8 in our bank account. We didn't tell anybody about our need. We didn't advertise it. We've, we've tried to be very careful not to do that. But in, in five months later, I went to Mexico, and when the, the guy came in the room and said, here's the bill, and it was just shy of $40,000, I handed him my debit card, and if you will, I paid in cash. See, where'd that come from? This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. God is no respecter of persons. Uh, the God that took care of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the children of Israel and Joshua and all the rest of them, uh, that, that's the God that wants to take care of you as well. David is overwhelmed with the fact that God heard me too. And in Psalm 34, uh, this section that we read with Brother Carson ends in the words, oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? The Lord is good. He's not a bad God. He's a good God. Uh, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is, oh, come on, church. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. David said, just oh, taste and see. Just You're, you're sitting on the sidelines acting like there's something wrong with the Christian life, acting like serving God is going to be boring, acting like living for God means you're going to have to give up so much. Why don't you just take a taste and you'll find out just exactly how good God is. Uh, you, you will never outdo the goodness of God. You'll never outgive the goodness of God. He is an incredibly good God and he's no respecter of persons. David said, I messed up and he was still good to me. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. It is a, it, this entire psalm is about praise and David uses several words to express that. In verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. That, that, that word blessed means that I am going to lift up words of blessing to tell God how good he is. He says also his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to praise him not only for what he is, but for what he's done in my life. And it, it all means the same thing as thanksgiving and testifying and so forth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, I'm going to just tell everybody how awesome my God is. You can talk about your favorite movie star, your favorite singer, your favorite band, your favorite athlete. Talk about them all you want. But you're never going to out-talk me when it comes to talking about my God. Because my God outshines them all. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And then verse 3 uses an unusual word. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Keep your place here. Can I get you to turn to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. This is right after Mary has found out from the angel that she's going to bear the Christ child. 
The angel encourages her to travel to Judea where her cousin Elizabeth, who's an elderly woman. Earlier in Luke 1, uh, we read that Elizabeth and her son Zacharias were well stricken in age and they'd never had a child. And the angel came to Zacharias and said, your wife Elizabeth's going to have a child. And he said, Shazam. He did not believe it at, at all. And the angel said, I'm just not going to let you talk until that baby is born since you didn't believe God. And he was struck dumb at that moment. By the way, it's dumb when you doubt God. Uh, different kind of dumb. But uh, uh, sure enough, uh, Elizabeth, uh, that elderly lady, found herself that she was going to have a child. And, and Gabriel said to Mary, said, just so you know, this really is of God. Go see your cousin Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant now. And so Mary went uh, to this city in Judea. And the minute she walked into Elizabeth's house, that baby in her room, who was John the Baptist, the Bible says he leaped for joy in, inside of her. That's why we believe that life begins in the womb. Amen. That's one of those, one of the reasons. And uh, Elizabeth praised the Lord, uh, you know, for all that happened. And, and Mary's got that confirmation and so forth. And, and look at verse number 46. And Mary said, read this with me, church. Ready? Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Ready? And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. You know what David said in Psalm 34? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And Mary is using the same terminology. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Turn to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Paul is in prison. The church at Philippi heard about it. They're grieved. They loved him. They had been supporting him as a missionary from the time he left their church. They were a poor church. They didn't have much to go on, but they sacrificially gave and sought to be a blessing. And now they hear he's imprisoned in Rome. And, and Paul writes to them, uh, verse number 12, but I would that ye should understand, I, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. He's talking about his bonds and being imprisoned and, and the suffering he's going through. He said, I just want you to understand it's all turned into a blessing. People are hearing about Jesus that never would have before. He got to preach Jesus to Nero. He got to preach Jesus to all of Nero's Praetorian Guard and all the senators and, and people gathering in Nero's courtroom. Found out that in Nero's household and the staff and the servants there, there were people that were already saved, but they were too shy to talk about it till they heard him uh, talking about the Lord. Now they're trying to witness to everybody and oh, some people are making fun of Jesus and some people are bragging on Jesus. He said, I'm just happy everybody's talking about Jesus. Everybody wants to know about him and so forth. And look what he says almost as a conclusion to this whole thing. According, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that I shall be set free. Is that what he says? He's not saying that. He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be what? magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I'm sure he'd have been happy if he would have been set free. He would have looked forward to that. Anybody in his situation would, but that wasn't his earnest expectation and hope. He said, here's what I hope with, with every fiber of my being, that no matter what happens to me, Jesus Christ is magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You find that word magnify or magnified used several times throughout the Bible. We've looked at but uh, two or three examples of that. 
When I was a little kid, uh, we used to get boxes of Cracker Jack. How many remember those days? Okay. And um, what was the best part of the Cracker Jack? The prize. And where was it always found? Bottom of the box. I learned open it from the bottom first. And uh, they always had some little prize in there. You know, sometimes they're those little, uh, you know, fake tattoos, and you put it on your hand and put a, wash, a wet washcloth or something on it, and you'd have a tattoo until you sweat, and then it'd all run and, and drip and stuff like that. My favorite was the magnifying glass. Anybody with me on that? Uh, I really like that. You, you can, you know, you use it for all kinds of stuff. I, I, I used to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confessing my bad past, the wicked past from which Jesus saved me. I used to fry ants with my magnifying glass. Okay, you're all going, oh, anybody else do that? Look at this, look at this. A whole bunch of us going to meet at the altar this morning. They, they say one of the signs of serial killers is torturing animals when you were a small child. So everybody that raised their hand, you ought to just look at them a little differently than you did before. Those magnifying glasses, to me, uh, they, they, were just, uh, they were just an awful lot of fun, uh, and, and I enjoy them. The Bible uses that word magnify. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and I'm going to go back to Psalm 34 again. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together to magnify the Lord. What does that mean? Well, magnifying glass brought one with me today. It's a sunny day. Maybe I go out and find some ants after church if you want to join me and relive your youth. Uh, the, the first thing I think of with a magnifying glass is, is uh, they enlarge things. They enlarge things. As my father got older, uh, if you walked out into his kitchen, he always had right beside the place where he sat and drank coffee, uh, he had a, a Bible that I had bought him when he was in college. And it was actually a fairly large print Bible, but his eyesight was getting... Uh, bad as he went into his 60s and 70s. So he had a magnifying glass, something like this. His uh, actually had a light on it. And I would see my father out there and he'd have the magnifying glass over his Bible reading. It was the only way he could, he could see the words. And the magnifying glass enlarges things. Now, the truth is, uh, I'm, I'm using it right now and it's enlarging the words on this page, but the words really aren't any bigger than they were. They just appear that way to me through the magnifying glass, okay? It makes things enlarged or appear to be larger. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Now, there's no way that you and I are ever going to make God bigger than he is. We're never even going to be able to express how big he is. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 12, speaking of the Lord, it says, who hath measured the waters... In the hollow of his hand. I, I've been watching some documentaries, doing some reading this week about the oceans. The oceans are the most unexplored places on this planet. There are things in the depths of the ocean that scientists are just now beginning to discover, but they're such a long way from understanding them. They're so vast and they're so deep. They contain, they contain so much different types of life. And, and Isaiah said that God measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. It's like you can just pour the entire oceans in God's hands and he'll just hold it there in, in the hollow of his hand. He's meted out the heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a, in a balance. That's how big God is. We're not going to make him any bigger than he is, but to mag David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. What's that mean? Let's make, let's make him big to everybody else. Our world has a very small view of God. 
They have a very unbiblical view of God. They see God as, as an intruder. They, they, they see God as an outsider if they believe in his existence at all. By the way, uh, one day everybody will believe in God. There are no atheists in hell. You understand it. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But just look at the way they mock God through, uh, you know, the way Hollywood mocks God. Look at even the way Disney mocks the things of God. And they have such a small view of God. David said, let's magnify the Lord. Let's let the world know that our God is an awesome God. Let's let the world know that our God is a good God. Our God doesn't tell his followers to fly planes and kill themselves in, in, in buildings. God doesn't ask us uh, to die for him. He died for us. That's, that's the God that we serve. Let's make the world know that our God is an amazing God. He's a powerful God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Let's make God look big. But you can't do that if you're running around grumbling and complaining all the time. And the people that you're grumbling to and with know that you're a Christian or think that you're a Christian. When you do that, you're saying, my God's not big enough to take care of me. My, my God just isn't, isn't very good to me and, and all of that. And, and even those that you come in contact with, they don't think we're, we're serious about God. They don't think our God's worth having. Magnify the Lord. Moms and dads, magnify the Lord in front of your kids. Trina and I had a policy that when God answered a prayer for us, when God did something for us, then we would share it with our kids. We didn't often share the need or the burden ahead of time because we didn't want them to be insecure. But, uh, but always when God met a need, hey, kids, we just want you to know what God did. Why? We wanted our gods to know that, that they serve a very big God. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Does your life, does your attitude, does your spirit, does your conversation, the way you conduct your affairs, does it speak to everybody in the world that you serve a big God, a wonderful God, or do they get the idea that your God is just this little insignificant thing that doesn't really make any difference at all? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. To magnify means to enlarge to enlarge in the book of Job in the final chapters after Job's so-called friends talk to him Bildad Eliphaz and uh, Zophar uh, three men that would later be uh, very very harshly talked about by the Lord and, and find themselves in trouble with God a young man came along named Elihu um, Elihu waited till all the older guys were done debating things and Elihu he, he ended up off the mark, but he was a little better than, than some of the rest. Early on in his speech, he said to Job, some very wise words. He said, remember that thou magnify his work while men behold. Every man may see it. Men may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great. and We know him not. We haven't even begun to search out the, the magnificence of God. We know him not, neither can the number of his years be searched out. Elihu gave, gave Job some incredibly good advice. By the way, at the beginning of his trial, that's what Job was doing. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his trials 
got worse, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? And, and, and all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. But as you read that book, his friends seem to like wear his spirit down. And next thing you know, he's complaining. And next thing you know, he said, I will demand of the Lord. I, I demand uh, to, to stand before him and I demand for him to tell me why I've done nothing wrong. I don't deserve this. And God owes me an answer. And Job got a bit self-righteous and a little bit arrogant with God. And God had to bring him down. But but Elihu was trying to set Job on the right track. Again, remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold. We're being watched. We are being watched. What do they see? What do your coworkers see? What do your neighbors see? Moms and dads, what do your kids see? Young people, what do your parents see? Some of you have unsaved parents and family members. Do they see in your life that God is amazing, that God is wonderful, or do they see you making a mockery of everything you claim to be and to believe? Magnify the Lord with me. You know that I've been working for um, almost five years now with a young man. He's, he's been training me. I, I spend two hours a week with him. He's been to our church now a few times. He's watched us via the live stream. I think he's a fine young man. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't do drugs, uh, none of those things, but he does not yet know the Lord. But I know that he's watching me. I know that he's watching me. We've, we've had conversations. He's seen me in the last couple of years go through a lot of ups and a lot of downs. He's watched me clutching my chest. He's watched me end sessions early because I was in so much pain. Uh, he's watched me because of this, my, my, the weights that I was able to lift a few months prior, uh, I, was, I was just going downhill and he saw frustration taking over me. And, and there were times that I wanted to get frustrated and, and throw the weights to the ground in frustration, but I thought, I can't do that. I can't do that. This young man's watching my life. I, I don't want him to see in me that I, I behave and act and think just like the unsaved world does. I want him to see that even in a, in a low moment, I serve a good God. Magnify him. The world sees God as some little thing. Let him know that they are dead wrong. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. It not only means to enlarge, it means to enhance. It means to enhance. That's what happens when we take our little magnifying glass and we catch the rays of the sun just right. And I can't do the scientific expl explanation on, on all of this. I'll let Brother Rob tell you how that works. But if you catch the rays just right, it'll, it'll amplify them and it'll set something on fire, whether it's a piece of paper or a clump of grass or an ant. Um, it'll, it'll, and you know it's true. Just simple little magnifying glass. David said, magnify the Lord with me. Let's, let's be a conduit through which the power of God flows. So the people's lives are touched. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Her entire life. Now, Mary's not to be worshipped. Mary is not the queen of heaven. Do you know that the queen of heaven was an Old Testament goddess, a false goddess that God judged the children of Israel for worshiping? Okay, um, Mary does not answer prayers. Mary does not help with salvation. She is not a co-redemptrix. Uh, Mary was a sinner who said, God, my savior. She exalted God, my savior. But Mary was a godly lady. Mary was a lady that when God came to her and said, I'm going to do this in you, she knew that was going to change her life. 
How was she going to make her mom and dad believe that she had not been a bad girl when she was found to be with child? Oh, an angel appeared to me. That's not what you think. This is of the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and the, the baby that I'm going to bear is going to be the Messiah. How is she going to convince anybody of that? There's no, no human way to do so. Even her fiancé turned on her, and the Bible said he was minded to put her away to divorce her, though privately. His hopes and dreams were shattered. And Mary had to know that that's how people would react and she'd have no way of proving it otherwise. And yet Mary was willing to let God do. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Do you realize through Mary's life, all the rest of us got a blessing? Through Joseph's life, when God revealed the truth to him and Joseph took her as wife and did exactly what God said, through Joseph's life, all of us are blessed. Do you realize that when David sat down and penned the words of Psalm 34, under the inspiration, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, word for word, every one of us is blessed and God was magnified, enhanced in his life. That's what you and I ought to be. We ought to be living, walking Bibles. We ought to live in such a way that the people of the world come to us and say, I I want what you've got. I've told you many times about going soul winning one Thursday when I lived up in New York and we knocked on a double wide trailer on a, on a rainy Thursday morning. One of our teenagers went with me and knocked on the door and a man named Butch answered the door. And I said, my name's Tom. This is Greg. We're visiting from Heritage Baptist Church over in, uh, Palm, uh, in East Palmyra. And the minute I said Heritage Baptist Church, he stopped me. He said, Heritage Baptist Church, I know someone who goes to your church. Sometimes that phrase has been followed by something that wasn't so positive. And he talked about a man named Glenn Hunt. And he said, I've worked with Glenn Hunt for years. That man was the meanest guy that I think I've ever met. Nobody got along with him and he got along with no one. If we could, we'd work somewhere where he wasn't. That's the kind of person he was. But he started going to your church and he's not the same. How can I get what Glenn got? He, he didn't understand the terminology. It wasn't our church that changed him. It was Jesus. And I had the privilege of that morning leading Butch and his wife uh, to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Glenn doing? He was magnifying the Lord with his life. He was enhancing the message of the gospel. He had no idea that his co-worker was watching him that closely and saw the change that God wrought in his life. And it, it put a desire in his heart and said, I want what you've got. Do your coworkers say that about you? Or do they say, well, if you're a Christian, I can do without that. That's the way Christians are. I don't think so. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Do we make God look bigger to a lost and dying world? Do we enlarge God? Do we enhance him? Do we enhance and empower, if you will, the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It also means to ennoble means to exalt, to praise, to lift up, and to extol. Back in our text this morning, and we'll be done. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see, verse 8, that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 35 and verse 27 David said, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. 
It says in Psalm 69, verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. To magnify means to literally praise, to give thanks, to use your lips to say, I want to praise the Lord because. I want to thank the Lord because. I mean, verbalize it, not just feel it in your heart. I mean, express it, get it out there. That's a little bit about what this Tuesday night is about. And I, I, this coming year, I've already got some things written down. One of the things we're going to change around here is we're going to have more time, especially Sunday nights, to just, okay, let's praise the Lord for something. Let's just talk about something good God's done for us. Uh, we're, we're coming on the winter months. How many are looking forward to snow? And every one of you, the altar call's coming. <laughs> and I expect to see you here. How many of you could live without any snow this winter and be totally happy? See, there are a few righteous people here. You know, it's when, when the weather's been cold and it's been dark and it's been snowy and life is getting a little rough. That's when we need to be able to praise the Lord. Praise changes everything. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. How many have, how many have something in your life right now, humanly speaking, that you have a legitimate right to be unhappy about? You wish it were not so. Anybody? I do. It's this big hunk of metal hanging off the left side of my body. I wish I had one like you do. You know what? Here's a follow-up question. How many have ever complained about that? Question number three. Did complaining fix it? Did complaining make you happier? No. Did complaining make anybody around you happy? Not at all. But you know, praise has just the opposite effect. Praise reminds me that God's been good to me. See, I can, praise, praise, I, I can complain about this, you know, 16-pound hunk of stuff hanging off my left side, but I ought not be doing that because God gave this to me. It cost 70,000 bucks, and God didn't make me pay a dime. I can walk because of it. I can do things that I'd never do if I was just on crutches trying to hobble around on that. God's been good to this guy. How ungrateful for me to say, man, it's just so hard getting around on this thing and it's heavy and sometimes it hurts. And oh my goodness, God forbid that I should be that kind of a Christian. I got a good God. And I got so much to look forward to. Uh, in heaven, you're just gonna be happy to be there. I'm gonna be happy to have two legs. I'm gonna be just a tad happier. Brother Warren, am I right? Yeah, we're going to be rejoicing louder than the rest of you, walking and leaping and praising God. Right now, I can praise God, but if I tried to leap, I'd be on somebody's YouTube channel. <laughs> We've all got problems, and I'm not minimizing your problem. I'm not, I'm, I'm not minimizing what you're going through, but praise is what turns it around. Praise is what helps people to see us going through that trial to be drawn to our God. I have a t-shirt like many of you have that has Trina's favorite saying in her handwriting, God is always good. How many have one of those? I think we're gonna have them remade for the coming year. It's on my list uh, for Vision Sunday in, in 2024. I wear that to the gym. I wear that to the gym. I've had people walk up to me. They, they see that God is always good. And it sparks a conversation, and it usually begins something like this. Seeing you wear that shirt 
and seeing what it is that you're dealing with says an awful lot. That really, that really challenged me because I've got two good legs and I haven't thought about God being good at all. I've had opportunities to share Christ. We've had people come visit our church that, that have seen things like that. People are watching. Are we magnifying him? Are we magnifying him or are we making him look just as small as the world thinks he is? Would you read the first three verses of Psalm 34 with me, church? Can we stand together to do that? I'm preaching to God's people today. It's the Thanksgiving season. We're not careful. Thanksgiving's going to be about football and friends and family, and somehow God's going to get, you know, a mention in the footnotes. He ought to be the star. Read, read the first three verses with me, good and strong. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And church, there's our challenge. Let us exalt his name together. Together. Can we bow our heads for prayer this morning?